going on, ladies and gentlemen? Um, this is Andy Morales. Welcome to season eight, episode number two of Unraveled Influence. With me today is Andres Colon. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, just trying to get ready for the in-person open mic that myself and the Unraveled crew are trying to set up for in Bayonne, New Jersey. So we're just, you know, trying to bring art to that part of New Jersey because it's, it's kind of nothing. There's nothing like that there. So if I can bring it in there and to introduce people to certain elements of art that exists and poetry is one of them. Why not? You know? Yeah, for sure. I've never been to Jersey. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm, I, um, so I've only lived in New Jersey for five years, but I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting transition. I'll say that because compared to the noise I've been used to and then going to a less noisier and more quieter surrounding, it's, it's, it's still, I'm still, even though it's been five years already, but still adjusting to myself, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel too, because I was, uh, I was raised in Cincinnati and then my college is kind of in the middle of nowhere near Toledo, Ohio. So it's like a bit of a different environment, as you said. Ah, okay, okay. Um, my co-host, and I mean, she's not, she's not going to be able to be with us because she has school stuff to worry about, but she actually lives in Ohio as, as well. I believe she's uh, in Cleveland and she's a biology teacher there but yeah she has said that she's traveled different parts of ohio different parts that she does exactly how you said it so that's yeah so that's the whole thing but that's cool um thank you so much for um being a part of this show with me i really appreciate it so um i always ask everybody this question so um so poetry and writing um how did this all start for you well i've always kind of been involved in the arts I have been kind of sketching and doodling all throughout my childhood pretty much in classes and stuff and then there were always some um, ideas for art and stuff that I felt I couldn't really communicate through a visual lens so I would kind of just write down the idea on like paper and or my notes app and uh, a lot of the times those ideas I just wrote about instead of drew about. And then that kind of developed a habit of me starting to write. Ah, okay. And talk to me more about the, the writing aspect. So is it just something that just comes up like that, like out of the blue, or is it something that you'll see something and then it would just inspire you to write? Like, how does that look like for you? Yeah, I have a bunch of different, I guess, like, I would call them seeds of inspiration. So I'll get an idea randomly that I'm somewhere and I'll just write it down and then I'll kind of revisit it and keep building off of it. So I always have a couple different writing ideas or poems going at the same time, pretty much at all times. It's just like a matter of whenever inspiration happens, I'll like add to that idea until it's a more of a finished piece. And that's pretty much the same with how my poetry collections develop. I'll just write poems until they kind of form a story. And then from there, I figure out what kind of story it's trying to tell me. Mm, okay, I love that. And as far as the figuring out aspect, how does that look like? Because that's interesting how you put it in that way that you put it. Because I kind of feel the same way with my poetry as well. Like when I write or when I have an idea, just write it down. I feel like eventually when I put certain things together, it would develop a certain way. Hopefully it'll tell maybe the the same sequence of stories if it's not the same situation but it's those but somehow they all link up to one another i mean do you do you, do you see it being that way for you as well yeah my to reference my most recent poetry book the matador's wife the way that i kind of came to the thesis of it is as i said i just kept writing poetry and i sort of lay out all of the poetry that I'm working on and try to find some sort of theme or character. Um, in this in this situation for this collection, it was more of a character that I felt was being written from. And all of them kind of had um, 
themes of anger and like domesticity and feeling trapped. So I created the character of the matador's wife, which is one big metaphor that I can explain further on. But that's pretty much the way it develops. I just lay out some of the poems that I've written within the past year or so, or whenever I feel like I've written enough poems for a collection. And then I find whatever theme is speaking to me. And then I'll kind of fill in the blanks from there if I need some more poems. Okay, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. So the Matador's wife, right? So did you come up with the graphics and all that other stuff of this book? Like, how, 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 talk to me about like that and then talk to me about how'd you come up with the name The Matador's Wife? Why The Matador's Wife? And did you come up with the whole graphics and everything, the sequence behind the whole cover? Yeah, I designed the cover myself and I also did a series of like promotional photo shoots that I posted on social media and um, I also designed the some of the advertisements for my publishing company because I'm a I'm a psychology student but I have a minor in graphic design so I kind of like am also taking that graphic design and like to put it with my writing a lot as for the concept of the matador's wife and the character um it was another situation like i described before where it kind of just came together and i was just more so letting the story tell itself to me and like what i felt like i needed to um finish the sequence with And so for The Matador's Wife, all of these poems were kind of very angry. And, um, but they came from a sort of repressed kind of anger um, because I was in a period of my life when I was writing where I was processing a lot of, um, you know, difficulties and traumas or whatever but I didn't really have anyone to blame because you know life just tends to happen to you and there's there's not always someone to point a finger at so I was writing from a place of very uh private and undirected anger and that kind of formed itself into the character of this this wife who has all of these um, grievances about her life and but they're not things that she feels like she can vocalize to her spouse um, so that's how the character of the Matador's wife came about as for the whole title um, the concept of a matador that's something that I've kind of subconsciously been fascinated with in terms of like imagery and history because um, I'm Hispanic and I have done like a bunch of research about Latin America and also Spain and Spain's colonization. And one fascination with Spanish culture to me was uh, bullfighting. And I thought that the role of a matador it's sort of like a performance more than a sport because the matador is kind of like flexing off his immortality in a sense and um and it seemed more of like a spectacle to me and that's something i found really fascinating is how we watch people kind of risk their lives and that's entertainment for us and I took that whole concept of watching somebody experience violence from like the sidelines or like the stadium and kind of mingled it in into the 
poetry collection. And so what it kind of means to me in relationship to the poetry collection is um, to be the matador's wife, you would have to be like a spectator to your husband risking his life. And I think that kind of is telling of a lot of people in unhealthy relationships is they, uh, or at least in a specific unhealthy relationship that I think I was drawing inspiration from is that when we're with people that are pretty self-destructive or prone to violence, um, we are sort of watching them succumb to their own self-destruction and anger and um, also like the performance of it all. And we kind of have to watch from the sidelines. And that's what the matador's wife is, is she's the spectator to her husband's self-destruction. And I think a lot of times when it comes to writing and protagonists, the protagonist is usually like either the one that's doing the saving or is doing the destroying. And I wanted to from a perspective of someone who's watching the hero kind of destroy themselves and how that affects those around them. I didn't want to write from a straight up hero or a straight up villain because I think a lot of the times in our interpersonal lives, we can't really reduce ourselves to heroes and villains. We sometimes we're like a spectator to someone else. And that's what I wanted to write for the point of view of the matador's wife is that kind of spectator. Wow. So I'm like flabbergasted right now with everything you just said, because there's so many things that rambled in my head as you're saying that. And I'm like, holy crap. Wow. Uh, I got to Hold on. You got to give me a second. Cause wow. That just, mind boggled me right now what you just said so i'm gonna try my best to go piece by piece with the questions yeah, I hope, <laughs> wow i hope i explained it well enough i kind of started from a off point but yeah no it's okay it's actually okay i'm wow it just it was just like oh my goodness like it's one of those things like as you're speaking I just have to just be quiet and listen kind of thing. So that is, I love how you, wow. So, uh, (laughs) oh my God, I'm sorry. I wasn't expecting that to happen. I love that though, Uh, because it's so organic. It's very authentic. So that's why I'm just like, wow. Okay. So you, the bull riding thing, that's very interesting. And I remember when I think about bull riding, I do think about Spain uh, because I'm Hispanic myself too. I'm actually Puerto Rican, but I'll be honest with you. I don't know too much about my Puerto Rican culture. Um, I just grew up in a surrounding where like, you know, there was just, we were supposed to just understand and that's it. And no one's really supposed to explain stuff to you or I'm supposed to just told the shush and that's it kind of thing. So I, yeah. I was never really taught to research or to learn those things. Rather, it was just like, it is what it was. But um, you said something very interesting about the bull riding, right? You were talking about it's a performance versus a sport. Can you break those two things down to me? Why do you see it that way? More of a performance rather than it's a sport? Because that's very interesting that you said that. Yeah. Um, I think it kind of comes down to the role of the bullfighter because... Um, when we think of sports, um, we kind of think of athletes as more of chess pieces, I think, and we're more observing the game itself that's happening. But I think when it comes to a performance, we're like watching the individual who is taking on the task. And I think I think bullfighting is much more of a performance because it's it's more focused on like the fighter itself and whether or not he's going to die it's yes i do i can agree that it does take as much as athleticism as maybe any other sport but people that are really into bullfighting are also into like the mystique and the persona of the bullfighter 
um, it's it's kind of a a point of celebrity that the that a matador can reach, and um, it's interesting that you brought up, brought up Puerto Rico because I'm Puerto Rican as well, and there's a there's a similar kind of activity in Puerto Rico um, that we do or kind of used to do. It's it's um, it's kind of an underground thing, I think, right now. But it's like chicken fighting, which okay. isn't the same thing as Matador, but it's still kind of the spectacle of violence, you know, watching watching people fight. And um, But I think with bullfighting, it is it has its own kind of cultural and like aesthetic to it, which I think sports maybe may not have as much to my knowledge. Um, and I, w- I was really fascinated with how um, the matador as a performer kind of may tackle that role and also how his family would feel watching him become a spectacle and kind of continue to put himself at risk. Wow. What? <laughs> Yo, I see like you can't see my face, but I'm like very blushy right now because it's like very intriguing everything you're saying and then you talked about the hero villain i look at that as okay he can't always be the hero he can't always be the villain so i figure maybe he's the between so i th- you're probably gonna laugh at me but um i'm a big wrestling fan so there's the good guy the bad guy they go they face in the heel and then there's the betweener where he's not good or bad but he's like in the middle so even though he does bad by uh, bad guy tactics but people still cheer for him or vice versa. Um, he he. Um, people boo him, but yeah, he does good guy tendencies. So it's 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 interesting. Um, in your eyes, Kay, like how does that look like for you? As far as when you were talking about the Matador's wife and all this other stuff, like, so how does it look like for? the matador's perspective and how does that how how do you think that could look like for the matador's wife's perspective because I, I think i don't know I, I just i'm just curious to see how those two work yeah um the matador isn't a perspective that we actually get in the poetry collection it's just a bunch of poems from the matador's wife um and it is more so of a metaphor than like a literal plot device there's not there's not like scenes of her going to a bullfight. Um, a lot of the book kind of actually just takes place in their household and she's kind of explaining or telling her experience of being a background character to um, her husband's kind of um, carelessness. But in terms of the roles that you were talking about, I think that a lot of times when people write poetry, especially me, um, I think there's a tendency to write it in a way that's most depressing, or if that's the right word. But I think I do think there's a thing with artists where we may subconsciously try to make things sadder than they are or try to paint ourselves as um you know the one that's being affected or the one that's being hurt and i think a lot of the times um situations can be a lot more complicated with that relationships and relationship dynamics because yes somebody can be um Something can be very hurtful to you, but there's also still like some sense of agency in terms of where we stand. And I and I really wanted to explore. I wanted to explore what a story would look like if you stripped away the roles of a protagonist. Yeah. Um, um, I don't think neither the Matadors 
or the matador's wife are necessarily the heroes or the villains to each other. I just think they are they are a response to each other rather than like each other's opposites. Um, and similarly, similarly with the bull, like the relationship with the bull and the matador. If you're viewing the sport, you see the bull as kind of the, you know, the antagonist, like the villain that's about to kill the wolf rider. But behind the scenes, the bull is getting, you know, instigated, and there's a lot of history of bullfighting of the bulls being treated inhumanely and being purposely aggravated so that they can um, fight like the bullfighter. And I think that's. I think that's a similar kind of relationship with um, the matador's wife and um, the matador. There's a line in one of the poems that says, I'll just read it because I have the book in front of me. She says, when is it that I became the matador? to the bull must I make myself a wife if this is a wife I shall never have a wife and so in that specific portion she's kind of expressing that she feels as if she has to become a matador now to her own husband because she's evading his destruction and his anger and his bad character qualities and characteristics in the same way that he evades the bowl. So that's wow. how that's how I kind of see it. Okay, no no and that, wow. Um wow. Okay. Wow. Um and, and, and I I think you said it so perfectly too, right? Now if I put that in let's say if I put myself in that perspective, right? It's like I'll put it this way. So some people like the um the idea of being a wife, right? But then mm-hmm. there's the responsibility that the wife has to live up to, right? But then there's the responsibility that the husband, or in this case, the matador has to live up to. So even though there's his home responsibility, but then there's also his work responsibility or his performance responsibility. So there's this responsibility we have to live up to. And I think about like, this is pro- like, let's say we put ourselves in that perspective of, okay, this is the imagery that I have to portray. So they think, oh, I'm just this guy, but no one really see what happens behind the scenes for you to be that guy. And I think about, um, how do I say this without sounding like I'm bashing anybody, but like I'm a born again Christian. So one thing I, that one of the issues I've always addressed on my episodes is that there's people who like the idea of being like a pastor or running the church, but they don't understand what the responsibilities are, right? But then there's this idea that because I'm a pastor, that means I'm not allowed to struggle or I'm not allowed to express any kind of vulnerability. And then when things hit the fan, then it's like, oh, but what happened? And I, my whole point was, well, you're relying on the man, not the source of where the person gets the message from, if that makes sense. And I think in that same way, it also speaks for itself in the matador, the matador's wife, because we like the idea of, let's say, being married, but there's a responsibility we have to live up to. But then there's a responsibility that sometimes we're not aware of because one thing neglects the other and you draw more attention to the other thing and sometimes the priorities are not where they should be and i think in that same way where you said if this is what it is to be a wife then i don't want it it's true like i think that's what happens sometimes because people don't realize that certain things whether you know whatever walk of life it is i feel like we think the pretty much they don't understand that sometimes the grass will never be green on the other side. And then when they see what they had to do to make the grass green, they don't realize, well, there's a process that you have to kind of go through. There's certain seasons in life you have to kind of go through. And I think about like, uh, like, like, like a garden. So certain seeds, certain plants, certain crops, are only for that particular season, right? Because once the winter time comes, right, you're not gonna 
plant watermelons and strawberries. They're, they're, they just won't produce fruit very well. And opposed to what is during the spring or summertime or the fall, whatever the case is, it, you'll, produ you'll produce more better fruit that way. So I think in that same way, I think the process of waiting and and uh, watering and and planting it it's a hard work thing so um yeah I, I yeah go ahead i get what you're uh saying and that's something that is another common theme is the dependency on roles and what we what and how we see ourselves outside of those roles um Partway through, this is, a, I guess, a spoiler, but um, I think it's kind of implied somewhere in the beginning. The Matador ends up um, leaving the Matador's wife without word. And so throughout the entire first half of the book, um, she is trying to kind of salvage this thing that's sacred to her, which is her marriage. And... She's trying to save her husband from his own destruction. And no matter her efforts, he still leaves. And she's kind of just left to herself. And that makes her wonder, like, what am I outside of the role of this kind of dependency that I built up on this other person? And she sort of questions her, her own role as the wife that she agreed to be. And um, I think in a sense that the, I guess, I guess that's the end of my thought, but she, she watches her husband become so obsessed with his role, which is the matador. And because he's so obsessed with his role of, you know, entertaining people and risking his life, his wife, the main character, is trying to save him from it. And that makes her question her own role as a wife. And so the idea of roles is something that affects pretty much all of the characters. And I agree with you on that sentiment. Wow. No, I love that too because it's like yeah, like they they get divorced, they leave each other, and then it's like there's the left. Oh, like what what did I do so wrong? Like what could I have done better if I had maybe been more support? You know, there's these questions that come up, right? And I love that you said that because it leads to my next question. Um, so on page twenty one of your book, um, I, I'm going to assume this is like it enters into the next chapter or thought and you quoted genesis 131 it says but once it was very good can you talk to me about that because i think that's what i was thinking about too while you said that because at one point it was good but now it got to the point where now it's not good anymore and now once the situation takes place and things hit the fan now it's more like damn but it was good at one point so why not now what happened where did it get lost so i wanted to ask you about that because i thought that was pretty interesting how it transitions now explain to you. yeah yeah so you might explain that to me i'm sorry yeah so there's different i guess sections in the book um and they're all divided by verses and i chose verses in the bible um because the not for I know you said you're a Christian, but the book itself isn't directly like a a Christian view. It's more of um, I wanted to take Bible verses because um, a lot of the book is about like devotion to somebody, and I think that religion is something that's also very you know dependent on devotion. And um, throughout the poetry book, she also kind of questions God as well, because um, since she's in this kind of traditional roles of marriage with the husband and the wife, she's also like questioning traditional like perspectives on 
you know, theology and all that. So that's where the Bible verses come from. But as far as the specific one you were talking about, that is um, the divider where the poems after it, she's kind of reflecting on their life before, as you said, before things hit the fan. And um, she's trying to convince herself that there's something to salvage. And that's, I think, something that we all go through with when we hit a certain dead end in our relationships. We kind of try to project the future based on past behavior, which is not always an indicator of a person's character because, you know, people change as we are with them. No, that that makes sense. And it's true what you said. Um, like, even in my life, I feel like, you know, yeah, like, I mean, not, nothing is always sunshining rainbows and stuff like that. I definitely agree because, um, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian, but I could admit, yeah, I struggle with a lot in my life, too. I get to a point where I do question God sometimes. I'm like, okay, Lord, this happened. My dad passed away. My uncle passed away. Then I had a friend that died in a car crash and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, okay, like what, you know, what the hell, Lord? Like what's going on? I know you said we're going to have trials and tribulations, but this is just kind of ridiculous now. Like what's going on? Everything is go going downhill. Like what what's really going on? So I think that's a normal reaction, especially like in this case where the relationship ended and she was trying to salvage what she tried to salvage and it didn't work. Yeah. And I think that's normal that any, any person in any walk of life where they could question whether it's God or the universe or, you know, everybody has different views of that, but it, it's, it's normal to question because I feel like if we didn't question the, I, I don't think it would be normal if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, that's just my opinion with that. Um, I think that I love how you broke that down for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. One last thing on that is that the kind of questioning of a higher power that she goes through is kind of a motif. I don't even know if that's the right word, but a motif for um, sort of the way that she questions like pretty much everything and tradition itself because, you know, God and religion and all these theologies are, um, at least in America, how we base a lot of, like, our traditions and laws in terms of, like, the development of, you know, the nuclear family and the traditional family household. Those kind of all stem from religious ideas right united states and i wanted her i wanted her theological debates to kind of lead her to an interpersonal debate of like you know if i'm if if these traditions that i've known don't mean the same for me as they do now then what does that say about me and my own role in this specific situation so that's that's where the whole whole like themes of religion come in is it's it's sort of a device that i use to make the matador's wife like question um question her relationship to tradition and how she thought these traditional roles would you know complete her or save her but you know, at the end of the day, you can't, you can't base who you are off of the roles in which you are to other people. That make, wow. I, you know what? You said that perfectly well. Wow. Um, I definitely agree with that because I think what it is, it's like when people give titles at us or they throw labels at us, right? I think about like a Band-Aid. So every scar represents a trauma or a situation and we cover them with Band-Aids. But when it's time to take the Band-Aid off, 
we try to use other things to kind of cover the scar because we feel like the minute people see that they're going to define us by what the scar is and um, every scar has a story right whether it's a bird mark or you cut yourself you scrape your knees or whatever the case is but just ev the fact that it reminds you of that i think what it comes down to is um they you were afraid that if we expose ourselves too much, then we're going to get defined by what we expose ourselves with, if that makes sense. Um, so I wanted to ask you um, to read a piece and give the audience an example or preview of what to expect in the Matador's wife. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, am I able to have a second to pick one or... It doesn't matter. Whatever you want. <laughs> I don't know, like, how much you can edit or... But, um, I can... I'll read this one called Vegetable. It's from the section that you were talking about. Um, about the the good parts of their marriage. It's on, that's on page 26 if you uh, were looking. Sounds um, good. So this one's called Vegetable. I've never broken a bone, but I trust that you know you can't see the earth's curve as you fall from the top of the tire swing. So I suppose this flat world has its ends because you said, but was the skepticism worth aging me in worry? I hand over the bandages and I'm looking for Jesus in the palms of your hands, picking the mulch from where they'd nailed him. I can't help but wonder, would you have died for me like I'm your biggest conspiracy? I'd make you mud pies if you could try them, if I didn't have to pull all your teeth with your brother's pliers. You tell me I'm too sweet, I push you again and you scream higher, higher, higher. We hide behind the chatter of the washer and the dryer. When I'm this close, I can see that there sprouts a hair from your chin, and it hits me. You're to be a man of God, so you love me frugally, sneaking me through the window like I'm your biggest conspiracy. I called you out on that. You let me hit you as payback. God, I hate this sin, but I love this sinner. Then we'll playing cops and robbers. You learned this from your father. Don't you know you aren't invincible? I can't watch you become a vegetable. When I went to your baptism, I thought that you were drowning. I didn't know what the pastor meant when he said it was by grace that you would never be the person you were before the cleansing. But that's when I knew this flat world had its endings, as you said to me, because I would have forsaken all of God's creation if it meant I'd get your formal self, your wretched, your evil, your rotten bastard self. Wow. So that, that specific poem is kind of... I guess a clip from her and her husband's childhood and it's it's showing some of it's showing some of his early patterns of self-destruction you know and like more of the childhood senses of maybe like not being careful when you're playing and like cutting your hand and all that but she's seeing these signs of him having a bit of a uh not antagonistic because I said he's not a villain, but a bit of a rebellious or self-destructive nature to him. And um, because it's from such a young point of view of their childhood, um, she is confused about a lot of the religious ideas that she's aware about. Like she's, she's confused about this concept of baptism and she thinks it means that he is not going to be the same person to her in that, you know, if he, if he sort of succumbs to his, to his relationship with God, he won't be interested in her as much because he'll be faithful to something else. And I think that, I think that big abstract ideas in terms of like religion or theology in general are a little complex for what I believe. Well, I grew up religious and a lot of what you learn in um, at least the Bible Sunday schools I was in are pretty abstract concepts. And looking back, I think 
maybe that's something that's a little too big of an idea for a child to grasp. And so that's kind of a perspective I wanted to write from of, of someone so small trying to comprehend such big ideas and also comprehend like the love she has for this man and like the defiance of that. Wow. Okay, so you you're kind of ministering to my heart right now because what you said, I it actually resonates with me because I'm the youngest of three kids, and you know for the most for most of my childhood I was sheltered pretty much. So and I did go, I mean, um, even though I'm a born again Christian, but I did grow up Catholic and stuff like that. So everything you said, like Sunday school, it's exactly what it is because like you said. How can something so complex, how can a child understand something like that? Especially if you're still trying to grow up in the world, trying to develop your own way. Yeah, I'm still depending on my parents, but yeah, I'm still trying to supposedly, the you know, depend on God to help me be who I'm called to be. So it's interesting. And I think I, I always wonder in life, why is life like that? Where there's this expectancy where... Oh, like you're supposed to just understand because I tell you when that's it. And my whole thing is, yeah, but you, I, I'm more of a visual guy, so you have to show me how something looks like. Like if you tell me, hey, you need to learn how to save money. Okay, but how does saving money for you look like? I mean, I'm not saying that I'm going to do it exactly the way you did it, but if I know more than one way to do something, at least I, I look at it as I have options to pick or to try to navigate which option is the easiest for me where i'm not overcomplicating myself and it leads to this other thought that i had in my mind i'm trying to catch up with everything you said and i know you talked about the war within ourselves it's true because um even within ourselves we we i, I know with me in the past i used to struggle a lot with like identity as far as like okay like who am i as a person am i this nice guy am i really this asshole am i really like like whoever whatever they're pointing fingers oh you're this you're that am i really what people are saying about me and then i would look at myself at this imaginary mirror of reflection of myself where i'm thinking and i start questioning myself in that way too and um the self-destruction thing is really what keep you know that i really caught my eye too because i think the re i i would like to assume the reason why he struggles with his identity the the matadors because of the roles he has to play, but then, because I feel I always believe in okay, there's you, and then there's the other roles, right? Like in my case, I'm an operations manager, but I'm also a husband, I'm also a father, I'm also a brother, I'm also a cousin, I'm also yeah. an uncle. But there's this all these roles we play in life that I don't know. In my case, I sometimes don't know which to be at the present moment because I'm still trying to figure myself out who am I the person first before I be I, before I play the roles of these other titles and I think that's what really drew my mind with what everything you're saying so uh yeah, yeah. that um that kind of idea you're talking about is um pretty much the inspiration for the poem um I'm a as I said a psychology student and uh one thing that fascinated me when I was writing it is um, it's called the stages of moral development. So um, I think it's by some guy named Kohlberg or something, but that doesn't really matter. He basically proposed this theory that we have these different stages of moral development where we, you know, understand things based on our age. And at the bottom like in our early development um we make our decisions based on punishment so um we do things because parents tell us they're good and they're bad and we want to avoid being punished and then when we get to teenagers or like preteen we are more self-interested and then you know as you age it turns into oh, how does this affect other people or, like, the world around me? And so um, the specific stage that I'm talking about in the poem where we kind of, we make decisions based on, you know, what parents expect of us 
or like we base them based on whether we're going to get punished or not that's that's called the pre-conventional phase and that's why i said i think that some moral or theological ideas are oftentimes too complex for young children is because they're not they're not agreeing to these things because you understand them they're agreeing or digesting them from the lens of okay this is what someone's telling me and that's like this is how you think you know so that's another aspect of roles is we we take in information differently based on our age and that's what that poem's kind of no no and i i I love that i love how you broke everything down like that so i know you you mentioned a few times about the psychology major and stuff like that i wanted to ask you what was it about psychology that made you decide hey i want to do this like is it just like just trying to understand how the mind works just because like explain that to me because that's that's pretty i think that's pretty interesting with what you're saying and then of course you have the graphic designing as the minor but i find those two things somehow some way they somehow correlate with each other because they still yeah. deal with the mind in that way so i just want to i'm just curious to know how that looks like for you yeah my like revenue if you want to call it back is call it that is a bit of a mi- mixed bag um so when i was choosing my college major i already had experience in art and writing and so i you know i already have a book published i thought that if i don't need college degree to get a book published and why am I why would I major in it so I tried to pursue stuff that I thought would benefit my other hobbies and talents so I wanted to take graphic design as a minor to you know further my art skills and be able to create like graphics and visuals for the books and other writing and projects that I make and then psychology um that sort of study i thought would benefit my writing a lot because part of writing characters is understanding how they work and so it's a bit of i chose psychology out of um out of wanting to heighten my other kind of skills but i do genuinely have an interest in the psych field and I think at some point when um because writing an art to me it's like it's a bit of an emotional release so it's not not something that I can just do if somebody tells me to and so um art and art and writing those are those are hobbies but they're not ones that I can just pull out and you know base my whole salary on so I do at some point want to be a therapist or some side of some kind of social worker um specifically to Spanish speaking children um I'm also taking a lot of Spanish classes um and that's a that's another whole mission thing of like um being a therapist for specific the Hispanic community and Spanish speakers but yeah psych psych is um something that is both an interest of mine but also something that I think affects my writing and my art wow and you know I I wow not so much respect for you for that um wow wow I just give me a minute because I'm like wow everything you said was just very touching that's why I'm just like wow you know, especially in Hispanic culture, it's hard to, I don't want to say it's hard to achieve, but like it's hard to sometimes go the distance to get those things, if that makes sense, because there's so many barriers and um, so much respect for you for that. Because that, this is kind of why I did, like that's why I created this platform on Ravel Influence, because, you know, I always say this in all of my episodes where, you know, everybody has a story to tell, 
is always celebrities that tell stories, but my whole thing is, okay, we have stories too. Yeah, we're not famous, but I, I don't care if we're famous or not. Everyone has a story to tell, and there's conversations that need to be had. Yeah. Especially, especially, you know, coming from one Hispanic to another, everything you're saying, I get it. Because, again, I'm the youngest of three. I, My brother and my sister, they're like five to six years different, so I didn't really have much of a relationship with them like that. And my dad was the... 1950s Puerto Rican and my mom was the you know the submissive wife so like when I was everything you're saying too I thought about it in that perspective because I would say like if my father was the matador I would think he was like the stubborn type like he's so focused on being the man of the house providing for the family but he's not present in what's in front of him right and then my mom's the submissive Oh, whatever he says, you know, I got to do it because, you know, it's one of those. She's playing the role as the mother, but she's also playing the role as the wife to Mm -hmm. her husband because she has to provide in her own way where she's behind the kitchen. She's submissive to her husband, but she's making her her kids are good and and she's making sure that everything is set. And then, okay, now I have there's mommy duties, there's husband duties. And then there's my alone time, which we, you know, at least for me, I never really get to, I've never got to see them be alone or her being alone other than like my father's doing his thing and my mom's doing her thing. But as far as the communication aspect of it, like I've never really seen them communicate. If they did, they never did it in front of us. So it was just one of those, like everything you're saying, I'm relating to my life with your book because even me being a father and a husband i feel like sometimes i can be like that where i'm so focused on the platform and work and making sure i'm doing all i can to make sure the family's safe but sometimes it's easy to get lost in the present time where okay like even though my son is semi-autistic but i have to also be in the know as to okay make sure like my wife communicates to me about you know what what what's going on with my son at school and what's going on and it's one of those situations that's like oh okay but sometimes it's easy to neglect those things and forget because we're so focused on the biggest thing that's in our eyes we think is bigger but then it's like oh but i i i i have to not forget i'm also a father i'm also a, a husband and vice versa. So that's the way that everything you said, that's exactly how it's speaking to me right now. I just wanted to say that because it's true. We could be the matador. We could sometimes be the matador's wife, you know, and vice versa. Sometimes yeah. I can be the characteristics of the matador's wife because am I living up to, you know, being the husband? What if my wife leaves me and decides, okay, I'm done with this? So there's so many things and directions to take this. And I love how you just explained all that. And I'm sorry if I kept cutting you off. I apologize. I'm the kind of guy like, if I don't get my thought across, I'm, I'm going to forget. But my bad for that. Um, but I love, I love, I love this. This is great. Yeah, I was just emphasizing your point. Like, the, it is all about, you know, handling roles and how we um how we grapple with them and how we as you said like you didn't see your parents kind of outside of the roles that they exhibited and you didn't really get to see their you know privacy and that's another part of the book another um thing with the uh therapy part and the psychology thing is especially if your um first language isn't English or you're an immigrant from a Latin American country, like um, English might not be the language that can best correlate your emotions and feelings. And so that's why I want to be like a bilingual therapist is because um, I think people should be able to express themselves in the language that makes sense to them and like their emotional state yeah no no i love that and again so much respect for you because of that because it's true you know um we all need it you know and I, i don't know if there's a lot of that everywhere and i think that's great 
what you're doing and why you're doing it. And like I was saying before, that's why I kind of do what I do. Um, even though I have electronics engineering major, I never did anything with it. And I work at retail as an operations manager. But my main thing is I want to give back what wasn't given to me. But if I can be that person to pretty much be the voice of the voiceless, that's the way I'm looking at that. And I feel like you're doing the same thing in that way going to school, using your talents, using your visuals, and using your poetry as a way. I look at it like this is like a survival guide in a way too, right? Because they'll see this, they'll read a book, and be like, wow, this resonates with me. And it'll kind of be like, damn, maybe this, maybe this would help me survive, if that makes sense. In yeah. that sense, um. So much respect for you for that. And thank you so much for, you know, trusting me and trusting this platform to show your story. Uh, we are approaching almost towards the end. And I always ask this to everybody. And um, I'm going to ask this. Uh, so once we, we pass on, we're not here in this life. When people hear your name, Andres Colon, right? What is it that you want to be remembered for and why? And what impact are you hoping to leave once you're not here anymore? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry if it's a big question. I, I mean, I think in sort of the bubble of like my art and my writing, I always write from my personal experience and then I try to make it something that can be universal. And I think if my work can help people understand themselves in a different way, then that's great and all I would want out of my work. And I think that for me as a person, I'm, I think that kind of ties into therapy as well because, you know, a therapist helps people kind of put, see themselves in a different way or put their um, situation in a different perspective that helps them process it more. And I I see those connections a lot with my art and my writing, and I think that, um, like, after I die, um, the common thing through my art and my career and stuff will probably be um, of how I've maybe resonated with certain people, and or at least that's what I would hope, um, you know, with anything I do if if it helps people then it does and then if it doesn't you know like I still I still put in the effort to make the art and help people as much as I could wow no amen to that amen to that so yeah and I I agree that's a beautiful thing because it's true um any kind of lasting impact I can leave in this life that when they remember you, me, they remember you, they remember people who make that difference in the life. You know, I like to think that, you know, this is a difference maker here because, wow, this is impacting my life in one way or another. Because when I think about certain people, um, I do have friends that are no longer around, unfortunately. You know, it's just, you know, it's just life happens. Uh, but when I think about that person, I always think about, oh, well, he made me laugh. She made me laugh. Or they, if, like, if there was one advice um, that somebody gave to me that stood by me the whole entire time, like those kind of things, right? So yeah. I had a friend of mine, um, you know, even though I don't agree, but for some reason, um, it, it, it somehow stuck with me. This is back in college. He says something to the degree of, well, in life, sometimes you have to lie to survive. And I did not agree with that because I always believe in the honesty being the best policy. And I remember one time years later, I had this one thought that just came to mind where it's like, but what happens when honesty is not the best policy, when you're too honest and then it offends somebody, even though you mean well, what then? And I looked at myself like, you know what? I legit could not answer that question. But it's that one statement that if there's anything else, I can, if I can remember that one thing for that one person, that's the one thing I remember. And it's not in a bad way or good. It's just more like it just sticks to me every time I think about that one person. And I think in that same way. 
like when I pass on, I like to think that once I pass on that they hear Andy Morales, they'll have all these things to say about me. Good, bad, doesn't matter. The fact that they'll remember me for something that I had some kind of impact somehow, some way. So, um, so much yeah. respect for you. For you can, yeah, you can always gain something from someone, or you know. No, and I've actually learned a lot today. To be honest with you, about even about myself through your conversation. So thank you so much for that. Because one thing I love about what I do and what you're doing, and just having this conversation is. I'm always learning something new. I feel like no matter how, because I'm 38, I'm going to be 39 next year. I feel like it doesn't matter how old I become, I should always be willing to learn new things. Like there's always this perspective, of, oh, well, I'm older, I know more. No, because I know people younger than me that know a little bit more about life in certain areas than I do. Cool. And, and they teach me some things, so... <laughs> so that's why I never look in that perspective like, oh, well, I, I know more than you because I'm more experienced than you. I'm like, no, but, you know, there's certain things that that's not always the case. So, um, yeah, I, even even children, like they think in a much more innocent way. So just because someone is really young, maybe you can gain something from learning to be a little more innocent as a person. So I, I feel that for sure. Yeah, because me being a father, and I think this is what it is with, um, especially the older generation, one thing, I, from my understanding, they don't reflect a lot, if that makes sense. Um, with me, I'm a very reflective person. Like, if I know I messed up, hey, look, I messed up. Because I saw how stubborn and how um, strict and how, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but, like, there was, like, a way my dad had about him that he just refuses to, that like he was too proud to admit that he was wrong. Like, yeah. if he, he probably did it in private, I just don't know, but this is how he was, and I always taught myself that I don't want to be like that. I want to be willing to listen and not be dismissive about things in life because you could learn something about that, and I feel like me being a father now... And my son's only four, but I've learned so much about myself being a father and a husband that I've ever learned in my entire life. And I think that's the beauty of it. When you learn in different shapes and forms of life, you learn so much about yourself in that same way. And I feel like I learned a lot about myself today. So thank you so much for just having this conversation with me. Um, so much respect for you for what you do. Um, so... Uh, for everyone that's listening, uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Check out Andres's book, The Matador's Wife, which is by um, Cool Keepers Press. And I, I knew I forgot to ask you one more thing, so I'm going to ask it now. Um, how did you find out about Quill Keepers Press? That's what I wanted to ask you earlier, but I, I was so caught up with everything you said. I was like, oh, man, like that was more important, but I, I have to give a plug to Stephanie Lamb because she's actually one of my best friends as well. Um, how did this come about? Yeah, Stephanie is amazing. I um, I just found Quote Keepers Press from the website is called Submittable, which is where um, I think I don't I don't have a lot of authors friends, so I don't really know if this is like a universal thing, but um, a lot of authors use Submittable to submit to publishers and google like prizes and stuff so i found them through that and then i just submitted my collection to them um through their chat book prize competition that they were doing and um a couple months later like stephanie got back to me and so yeah it's been it's been great working with them stephanie is a she really wants to make sure that the author or artist is saying all that they want to or like doing things the way that they prefer like i never i've never felt that um since publishing with her that you know we've published my book and then we she's gone on with her life or gone to the next project like she still she still checks in with me and like the the book itself and you know we'll um inquire about other stuff that i'm working on or like some of the 
some of the things that maybe she discovered when rereading the book. So she's she's a great collaborator. No, I definitely agree. I've known her since I I okay. So I've known her since 2018, but I didn't start interacting with her more until. 2022 20 like 2021 2022 but more like this year we've become a lot closer and closer um but yeah i consider her one of my best friends and it's just um i it was just an honor and privilege to know her um she's the reason you and i met so this is what i'm saying like all mm-hmm. about uplifting one another to tell the stories to really build that lasting relationship with one another that and I, I i love the fact that you said what you said you know again like she and it's true i can vouch and say yeah she really cares so much about making sure your words are out there the way you want them to and it's so funny because we did have a conversation a couple of weeks ago about how there's a lot of publishers that don't even give you that creative freedom and she does, and I can so you know my hands off to her because of that. So, um, Andres, thank you so much again for doing this with me. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely talking, keep in touch soon. So, um, yeah, all right, five, four, three, two, one.